1: with Mr. G. Robert Watts or Bobby Watts, CEO of the National Health Care for the Homeless Council, and his colleague, Barbara Pietro, who's the Senior Director of Policy at NHCHC. Uh, Bobby and Barbara, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for having us.
2: Yes, thank you so much.
1: On background, 40 American 40 rather million Americans live in poverty are upwards of 14% of the population. Of these, 18.5 live in extreme poverty and 5.3 million in what's considered third world poverty. In 2016, 18% of children were living in poverty, comprising 33% of all people living in poverty. And between ninety-five and twelve, there was a seven hundred and fifty percent increase in the number of children of single mothers experiencing two dollars a day poverty. Although it's difficult to calculate the number of homeless, HUD's 2018 point-in-time survey identified over 550,000 people living in emergency shelters, transitional housing, or were unsheltered. This was a slight increase over 2017. One-third of those identified were families. African Americans account for 40% of these, and veterans nearly 10%, although there's been a significant decline in veteran homelessness since 2010. Also included in this number is a growing number of those having suffered a severe weather event, think Hurricane Florence or Michael, and wildfires. Homelessness has grown worse in part due to, as Phil Alston, the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty, concluded last year, several decades of policy choices by government officials to ignore basic human rights and to criminalize poverty. Instead of arresting poverty, we arrest the poor. Alston, for example, noted in 2018 that while police arrests in L.A. decreased by 15% overall in 2016, L.A. Pre- police that year arrested 14,000 homeless, an increase of 31% over the five years prior. Not surprisingly to say homeless, the homeless bear a heavy disease burden, Or not surprisingly, they bear a heavy disease burden, frequently the reason why they become homeless. Nearly 40% of homeless individuals have some type of chronic condition, including psychotic and affective disorders that range in prevalence from 10 to 40%. The homeless account for upwards of 30% of ED visits and are comparatively more likely to experience an inpatient admission and longer lengths of stay. As for lifespan, In one study of homeless deaths in Atlanta, the median age of the decedents was 44. Finally, uh, I should note World Homeless Day inaugurated to draw attention to the problem was observed this past October 10th. With me again to discuss the health care needs of the homeless is NCHC's Bobby Watts and Barbara DiPietro. So with that as uh, likely too long of an introduction, let me begin by asking if uh, one or both of you can make comment on summarizing your organization's mission.
0: Certainly, I'll be glad to do that. And uh, that was not a, a long introduction, or it certainly was not a too long introduction. You hit upon some really important themes that explain why the Council exists. You said that uh, health care is a human right and that is uh, at the foundation of, of what we believe. So the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council is a membership association made up of individuals and organizations that are really on the front lines of at the intersection of healthcare and homelessness. There are about 300 federally qualified health centers uh, that have a special focus uh, on uh, serving people experiencing homelessness. They exist in every state of the union, plus Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., and what the council does is we serve as a body where the information and best practices are shared. We um, we do training, technical assistance, and one of the things that we really believe, and we put it into practice, is that if we are to solve um, the health needs of people experiencing homelessness, and if we are going to solve homelessness, we have to listen to those that are most affected by it. So one of our three uh, constituent bodies is the National Consumer Advisory Board, which has 1,500 individuals who have experienced homelessness and have uh, received health care from one of our health care for the homeless programs. And what they do is serve to make sure that the experience is felt and listened to at each of those programs. Um that, that is their goal. Some may be on governing boards, they may have a national they may have a consumer advisory board. We also are comprised of 2,000 clinicians, uh, doctors, nurses, social workers, outreach workers uh, on the front lines, and we have 1,000 members uh, who work in medical respite programs. And medical respite is for individuals experiencing homelessness who don't have a clinical reason to be in a hospital any longer, but otherwise don't have a safe place to be discharged. So prevent them from... Being discharged inappropriately back to a shelter that can't take care for, for, of them, or a friend's couch, or the street. Medical respite is stepping in to to uh, to break that cycle and give them a safe place to recover, and then hopefully uh, that can lead to housing. Um, so um, the council um, is just a wonderful collection of individuals working with uh, people experiencing homelessness and people who have who are who have experienced homelessness. Working together as equals to solve this problem.
1: Okay, thank you. Would you would you say, uh, Bobby? It's it's a, it's fair to note. It's you are largely an umbrella organization.
0: Um, I think the best term is that we are uh, a membership association. Um, so people, uh, we we don't govern uh, the, the, those health programs; mm-hmm. they're independent, but we. Uh, provide a place for them to share information. We conduct research and we share that information, uh, disseminate best, best, best practices, do publications, trainings, webinars, uh, a, a conference where we have 1,000 people in attendance each year.
1: Okay. Uh, thank you again. So before I get into specifics about health care needs uh, for the homeless, let me, I'm curious to ask how upstream uh, do you go? I started intentionally by noting some poverty statistics and of course, uh, homelessness is a symptom of poverty, which is a symptom of unaffordable housing and, let's just say as well, uh, non- or, or low wages. So my question is, to what extent are your uh, members uh, trying to tackle these more uh, systemic problems, again, livable wages and affordable housing?
0: Yeah. Um, some of our members are very active. The council is very active in a number of coalitions. Part of our mission statement is that we exist to eliminate homelessness. And we know that we can't do that just by treating individuals who come to our clinics. We have to effect Policy changes, just as you have mentioned. Um, you know, we've had a massive retreat from uh, the federal support for affordable housing, um, according to OMB uh, in a publication that or analysis they did last year. Um, uh, in in twenty uh, seventeen dollars, we we are underfunding by the tune of seventy five billion dollars. Uh, support for for affordable housing at the federal level compared to what it was in 1979. Um, I'm going to stop because Barbara uh, is, is our Senior Director of, of Policy, and uh, I want her to, to weigh in on some of the upstream issues as well.
2: I think you're absolutely right when you talk about wages, when you talk about housing um, as upstream solutions, but I think also thinking about um, Bobby talked about healthcare and, and and all of these pieces. Single payer uh, is also something that we are advocating toward. Uh, and I use small letters when I th- uh, say that. Um, there are a lot of ways that we can make our healthcare system easier to use and less fragmented, and get higher quality of care uh, with more equity. And I think one of the things that we've seen in the 30 years of doing healthcare for the homeless work is that even when you have um, good health care services in place in a community, if that's not accompanied by an earnest interest in reaching the most vulnerable, then people still are not being served. And so you need to have care models that really meet people where they are. And that's, a, uh, I think, a, a matter of training, core competencies, and frankly, an interest in really reaching um, the, the, the sickest and most vulnerable in our community. Uh, but even going further upstream, we need to look at our K-12 through education system and look at how our families are accessing the supports that they need, uh, how we, our kids are experiencing not just their schools, but their communities, their home, family violence, gun violence. These are public health issues that I think are really taking a toll on the trauma that we see many of our patients um, coming to us having experienced. And I think that's the kind of thing we are in a position of trying to unwind, but it would be really great if we could fix some of these more structural issues in our country so that people could live uh, more successful lives and we didn't have to be working with people when uh, they reached the point of homelessness.
0: And, uh, David, you mentioned earlier uh, in your introduction uh, the disparity of um, that racial minorities are overrepresented among people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you did. And when we talk about structural policies and structural uh, problems, we can't overlook the fact that it's not by accident. Uh, Structural racism is really a driver of of much of the homelessness that, that we see right now. And uh, the council is working with other partners, national partners, to really start to address this in a a really more concerted way. So I appreciate that you raised that.
1: No, absolutely obvious in my mind point. Barbara, I'm appreciative for your mentioning health equity. We've made no progress. There was a recent JAMA piece on looking at data relative to health equity. We've made no progress on that uh, over the last couple of decades I will mention as well, uh, Barbara, you reminded me that our healthcare care uh, delivery model uh, largely avoids or ignores social service supports. Of course, housing is primary, and when compared to other OECD countries, they spend dollar seventy on social service supports for every $1 of medical care. For every $1 of med- medical care, we spend 56 cents, or about a third, on social service supports. So that helps explain why we're in the predicament uh, we're in. Let's go to, though, uh, more specifically still, the healthcare status of the homeless. i made some general uh, comments about uh, prevalence and particularly um, uh, behavioral health issues. I know, Bobby, you grew up reading your bio. You're a, you're, you grew up in New York City, and I'm sure you're well aware of the early October... Um, murder of several homeless men pretty pretty grim um and of course it clearly appears that the uh, the uh, alleged perpetrator was suffering a serious psychotic uh a serious psychotic event um but can either or both you provide me an overview of or say more about uh, their health status of this population
0: yes um So you're absolutely right. Uh, For every medical condition, uh, there are higher prevalence rates among people experiencing homelessness, and you mentioned the uh, mortality is much higher. Uh, the age specific uh, mortality uh, rate is much higher for people experiencing homelessness. You mentioned one study in in Atlanta, but that finding is consistent across the country and across the, actually across the across the world. We find uh, higher mortality rates among people um, Uh, who are experiencing homelessness. Especially among single adults, um, we see higher rates of substance use disorder and mental health disorders. Uh, We we lump them together as behavioral health, as the medical profession is increasingly doing. But what we have to realize is that often it is because of a lack of treatment and a lack of housing. It's extremely difficult for someone to receive treatment if they are not stably housed. And we see that over, and this tragic incident, and I worked at a rescue mission not far from where these attacks occurred, so it really struck home. Um, Really, we should look at it as um, that our mental health system, our health system, our housing system is failing vulnerable uh, parts of our population. Yes, And I
2: think I would even add to that, um, when we think about, you had mentioned the amount of social supports that we don't invest in in this country, and that undermines uh, the value and the outcome that we get from the health care that we do provide. And so a case example here would be, uh, we're trying uh, desperately to get people into the treatment that they need for behavioral health uh, and, and to maintain recovery. All too often, people complete 30-day, 90-day, uh, complete their programs. But when they're discharged back to the street, when they're discharged to a shelter or back to the same broken community that they produced addiction to begin with, then we wonder why there's relapse. We wonder why people aren't able to retain recovery. And so it's not unusual that our patients will complete two and three, sometimes four or five and six rounds of, of, of T- intensive treatment that we all pay for um only to return to the street and return to addiction and i think this is the kind of thing too that we're not using the current resources we have very efficiently because we undermine our own care by not providing more comprehensive supports like employment housing community reconnection to family all of the things that make life work uh that's what we do and I, and i think too what we see a lot of is uh, when you consider homelessness, and I'm thinking about the listeners to your podcast, when you think about health care and homelessness, it's not just that poor health caused homelessness, which you talked about initially, but it's also that the experience of homelessness makes it really hard to engage in medical treatment. And the experience of homelessness creates, an exa- creates new health conditions, it exacerbates existing ones, and it makes it very hard to get stable enough to then get out of homelessness. And so when we think about diabetes, for example, mm-hmm. a very common chronic illness that impacts many Americans, uh, and, and, and as Bobby mentioned, higher rates in, in, in the homeless population, where do you keep insulin when it needs to be refrigerated? Where do you keep uh, needles uh, and, and have those be safe and, and not stolen from you on the street? These are the things that I don't think we think through uh, in terms of how we manage chronic illnesses when people are living on the street. Or, or in a shelter, without the stability of housing. So I think these are the kinds of things in our healthcare system we need to be doing more work on.
1: Thank you. I mean, it, it, is, it should be readily apparent to people who give this more than five seconds of thought, and that is, if you're diabetic and you're homeless, basically self-managing your diabetes is impossible, as, as Barbara, as you suggested. Let me, <clears throat> let me ask you, I'm sure you're far more studied on this than I am, and that is, we have seen or are beginning to see some more enlightened providers, uh, not surprisingly larger hospital-led uh, organizations, provide some housing uh, to stabilize or help their patients stabilize. And we have, there have been some economic studies on these showing that it does um, actually uh, save money. What, where are those efforts? I mean, I realize they're not prevalent, but there are some, and what's your anticipation of? Are getting further down the road with these.
0: Thank you for uh, for mentioning that uh, because there is uh, an increasing um, awareness or agreement with an overarching principle that the council has long embraced, and that is that housing is healthcare. Most of our doctors and uh, nurse practitioners would w- gladly be able to uh, wish they could write a prescription for housing because they know knows know that would make the most impact, and increasingly. Uh, parts of our health system are recognizing that, um, both at uh, you know health systems, but also some states and how they're using their Medicaid dollars are using it to support um, housing. And uh, um, I'll turn it over to Barbara, who has a lot more detail on that.
2: Thank you. Sure. Um, you would you would ask about hospital systems in particular investing in housing, and what we're seeing is hospitals getting very creative. Uh, in how they're addressing the healthcare needs of the patients that are coming through their front door, but I also um, you're seeing some interesting uh, collaborations. For example, in Portland, Oregon, um, a, a partnership of six hospitals, together with the Healthcare for the Homeless um, provider Central City Concern, they've pulled their resources um, and are investing in capital development. Um, You're seeing in uh, Chicago an interesting partnership with the University of Illinois um, and its um, primary care providers to look at how they're building units. Uh, Here in Maryland, we've had a collaboration of the hospital systems here in Baltimore uh, that are doing the match fund to the Medicaid waiver that pays for Medicaid supportive services and housing. So you're seeing a lot of these really interesting um, places that hospitals are getting involved in social determinants of health. I think that there's an up there, there's a upshot to that, but I also see the risk to that. And so I, I, I think that there's a lot of things going on here. Certainly, hospitals are trying to be responsive to what uh, the quality of care that they're providing, their readmission rates, uh, and then, of course, the revenue. And, and the fact that you have some high utilizers who are using a lot of hospital resources but aren't getting the supports they need. So hospitals are in a place where it behooves them financially to support folks. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, if you house 100 people this year, next year there will be 100 more people who are frequent users of your hospital. And so we need a more systemic housing solution. Hospitals and healthcare providers in this country are not in the housing business. They've been forced there because our broken public policies and our lack of investments have forced that. But I don't know of any hospital executive who would tell you they would prefer to be doing housing. They would much prefer to be doing what they know how to do, and that's run a hospital.
1: Mm -hmm. But as you suggested, there are these super utilizers, so-called, that relative to uh, payment, um, increasing uh, payment reformulations, Particularly the uh, readmission under Medicare and commercial payers, they're trying to find or being forced to find uh, how to adapt or remedy this uh, issue. I, I do want to spend a minute uh, and jump back. I did mention uh, in the opening uh, that bizarrely or perverse we, perversely we are now or have for some long while now criminalized uh, uh, poverty and. There are, um, so there are, we do see reports from time to time of police sweeps, of homeless settlements, particularly out west, and not surprisingly California with uh, massive unaffordable housing, uh, a massive unaffordable housing problem, uh, where, whereupon they confiscate personal property, laws uh, making panhandling illegal, uh, making it illegal for groups to share food with the homeless, enforcing quality of life ordinances, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure, Bob, your organization's involved or members of your organization's involved in this. Um, I, I, would, I would like to think that we're unwinding these laws or maybe looking the other way at enforcing these, but what's your general sense of, of how this issue is being addressed or readdressed?
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, reports are that these laws are increasing on the books, and uh, they're not decreasing. Um, it's a re- it's an inadequate response uh, to a uh, to a long term problem. Um, these sweeps and criminalization of laws are not only are they ineffective; it does nothing to solve homelessness. It merely makes someone move from one part of the their city to another part. Um, but they are often found to be unconstitutional, um, a deprivation of, uh, uh, people's rights to live, uh, um a recent court case found that unless shelter was provided it was unconstitutional to uh, arrest people for being homeless if they had no other place to live mm-hmm. or to engage in life sustaining activities eating sleeping uh going to the bathroom these are things that everyone needs to live uh needs to do to live and um it, they are increasingly again not only ineffective but unconstitutional
1: thank you and-
2: I would add to that, I would add to that too, that it, it, taken together, the increasing criminalization of homelessness and of, of, of people's basic, just life-sustaining activities, I think it reflects a frustration and a compassion fatigue that we're experiencing in this country right now, where individuals who are living on the street are being blamed for systemic failures in our public policies. And I think how do we participate, and I think this is something that the council is trying to do as well, is change the public conversation around what really puts people on that street. It's not personal failings. Uh, These are systemic broken policies that produce um, people living on the street like this who have no options. And so when people say, oh, uh, so-and-so, he chooses to be homeless, well, when you think about it, what choice does he have? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's really what we need to think about. When you talked about the half a million people living on the street on any given night, the, the HUD numbers, uh, one-third of those folks are living on the street, unsheltered. And I, obviously that's a population that's got our highest rates of behavioral health conditions uh, co- combined with chronic and acute um, other, other issues, very vulnerable people, and yet these are the folks that are being stigmatized, the greatest, and then being locked up for there's no, there's no alternative that they have. And what's ironic to this is that putting a criminal record on individuals doesn't make it any easier for them to get a job or get back into housing or get back on their feet. And all too often just disconnects them from their, the healthcare they are receiving, um, and disconnects them from, um, actually more constructive solutions that we could do. So I just, I I really feel like the criminalization piece Needs to be reframed on where we put our blame, and that's not on individuals living
1: on the street. Right. Thank you. I I, I, I am often bothered by people saying, "Well, they need a second chance," and I'm thinking, "Well, they never got a first chance." Uh, so I, I just <laughs> very well said. It's yep, just Agree. Uh, but per your point, we make the situation worse um, because. These these so-called misdemeanors lead to warrants, incarceration, unpayable fines or bail, criminal convictions, leading to ultimately preventing employment and access to housing. I mean, it's almost predictable. Uh, we're just compounding the problem, uh, which makes no sense. I, I did I did mention uh, uh, Bobby. You're a New Yorker. Um, uh, I know the mayor, uh, Mayor De Blasio, has gotten positive and negative press, but he's is making or attempting to make a concerted effort uh relative to improving uh, affordable housing in the city. I make mention of that because you did note the billions of dollars were underspending or investing in affordable housing. So I'll ask as an aside here, do you have a comment on on the effort in New York City? Do you think uh, how do you think it'll play out?
0: Well I think like uh the efforts everywhere in the country where uh Localities are forced to come up with uh, creative solutions, uh, raise taxes, as we see, we've seen in California. Uh, Portland is considering that uh, other cities have raised taxes to direct funds towards um, towards homeless solutions, mostly housing and services.
1: Didn't Seattle um, try that and Amazon got upset? Am I remembering, um, am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> I think I am. Anyway, I started um, to interrupt.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I I, I do know. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll just say I don't know. <laughs> uh but um but generally what what we're seeing is that these um what these these activities and these measures are really important and they are homelessness is is felt at the local level though the cause of mass homelessness, as we see today, is really a result of federal policies. And um, it's not the result of any city's uh, economy or the policies that a particular mayor is choosing. These, This is a national problem. It's not red. It's not blue. It's not conservative. It's not liberal. It's not urban. It's not rural. We find homelessness at this level throughout the country is a reflection of a systemic federal abdication of the historic role which began uh, with uh, with the New Deal to try to ensure that people have some of their basic needs met.
1: All right. I'm thinking of Coates' uh, Atlantic essay on redlining uh, African Americans mm-hmm. in Chicago. I mean, that, that'll tell you a lot of what you need to know. Um, we're at about our time. Uh, I'm going to phrase it this way and leave it... Uh, to you, Barbara, possibly for the last word here and that is, what was I too stupid to ask?
0: (laughs) Barbara, you're nice heard. It's all yours, Barbara. My
2: apologies. Uh, One of the things we haven't talked about, and and this also talks about upstream solutions and how we are shooting ourselves in the foot in this country. Let's talk about health insurance. Uh, One of the things that we have um, done a lot to do in many states uh, is to expand Medicaid to uh, low-income single adults as part of the Affordable Care Act. But what you see is we still have 17 states that have refused to expand their Medicaid programs. Mm-hmm. And as healthcare providers, we see that the availability of comprehensive health coverage allows for the comprehensive care that people need. And increasingly, you've got a lot more care coordination that's happening within an insured population. And just to talk about disparities, in states that expanded Medicaid, uh, the uninsured population for the patients that we serve is 23%. So about a quarter of the patients we see in expansion states have no insurance. But it's two-thirds of the patients that we see. 66% of our patients in non expansion states have no health insurance and they do not qualify for any health care um, benefits. This is the kind of th- a policy that's easily within governors and state legislators' reach and largely paid for by the federal government. It is unconscionable that we have refused basic insurance, which pays for the, the, the health care that people need. And I just don't think that we appreciate that much how we are not doing ourselves any favor in our health insurance, and by, and, and by extension, adding additional challenges and barriers to it to getting and holding insurance, work requirements, premiums, co-pays, uh, these high-risk, low-benefit plans. All of these things undermine what we're trying to do in healthcare. And I really wish that we could uh, look at the cause and effect we're having. Medicaid expansion has been shown to decrease evictions and increase um, housing stability. Or Medicaid expansion, of course, increases housing mm-hmm. stability. So I just would love for us to be connecting these issues a little bit more uh, and, and fold that into the disparities that, that we track.
1: Well, I appreciate your mentioning the work requirement under this administration for Medicaid. That's, of course, in the courts. Um, and hasn't proved to be um, uh, successful. I mean, the, the Arkansas data just out uh, certainly demonstrated that. Uh, and, in fact, the CMS administrator was quarried by uh, the House uh, uh, in House testimony just yesterday. In any event, with that, um, uh, uh, Bobby and Barbara, I'm genuinely appreciative for your time. We're at our time boundary. So thank you for this overview. Um, Maybe we'll revisit this if and when we see a new administration uh, in 18 months uh, or 15 months. Um, But I thank you for this overview, and I wish you the best uh, in your work.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, David, for covering this issue.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website,
2: thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening and please listen again soon.